to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Galatians is important for us today because an understanding of the grace of God is vital to a healthy and spiritually prosperous Christian life. So if we don't get grace the way God intends it to be gotten, we're not going to be living the Christian life the way God intends it to be lived. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian begins a new series in the book of Galatians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Galatians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, in a message titled, The Life of the Age to Come. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Here we come this morning to a new study in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And the kind of the the theme, you know, we're studying through the book of Galatians, but our theme as we go through our study in the book of Galatians is going to be free in Christ. And that's really what the book of Galatians is all about. It's about the freedom that we have received in Christ through the gospel, through the grace of God. And we're going to be focusing a lot on that topic. I mean, that's really what the the book deals with is the revolutionary power of God's grace. So I, first of all, wanted to just give a little bit of background, sort of a introduction to the epistle itself, and then we'll move into looking at the text. But as we note here, this is the epistle of Paul, the apostle to the Galatians. It's written to the churches of Galatia. Galatia was a Roman province in what is today Turkey. The region was named after the Celtic tribes that settled there from the area known as Gaul. The ancient area of Gaul is modern-day France. And so it was to, to this region that Paul went with Barnabas on their first missionary journey. They came to the cities of Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, and it was there that they planted a number of churches. And so it would be to these churches that Paul is now writing. The occasion of the letter was unfortunately unpleasant. And and what had happened there is Paul had come in, he had brought them the good news of the gospel, they had embraced the wonderful grace of God, but then after Paul's departure, false teachers came. And the false teachers began to undermine Paul. They began to suggest that he really wasn't truly an apostle, that he didn't really have apostolic authority. And they also challenged his his doctrine, his doctrine being mainly that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. And um, these false teachers who came in to, to challenge the teaching of Paul, they're commonly referred to as Judaizers. And the reason for that is they didn't believe that you could really be saved apart from being a Jew. So the Jews, of course, had the natural end, but the Gentiles, they insisted, needed to become Jews if they were going to be saved. So they had to 
They had to go through the circumcision rite, and they had to keep the law of Moses. And this is what they came and imposed upon the people there in the churches of Galatia. So Paul writes this letter in defense of both his apostleship and doctrine. And as we go through the letter, we're going to see how he masterfully shows the fallacy of the false teachers, disproving their teaching from the scriptures themselves. And he also shows the foolishness of those who have followed their teaching. At one certain point, he even says to them, he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? And so this is what's happening here, the background of the epistle. Now, Galatians is interesting in that it is very much a doctrinal epistle, but it also has an, a component, a historical component to it, a narrative. And the first two chapters of Galatians are historical narrative. And in the first two chapters of Galatians, we learn things that happened in the life and ministry of Paul that are not recorded for us in the book of Acts. Now, we often think of the book of Acts as being the complete sort of historical perspective on the things that happened in the early church. But from what we read in Galatians chapter one and two, we realize that, oh, there were other things that went on that Luke didn't tell us about in Acts. In the New Testament, we have the epistle of Paul to Titus, but Titus is not mentioned anywhere in the book of Acts, but it's here in Galatians one and two that we find out a lot about who Titus was and his relationship with Paul. So there's that narrative portion of it, but then the content is primarily doctrinal and it is very similar in its doctrinal content to Paul's epistle to the Romans. And like Romans, Galatians played a significant role in the history of the church, especially in what we know as the Reformation of the 16th century. The Reformation of the 16th century, if you're not really familiar with that, that was when there was a rediscovery really of, of the gospel of God's grace. And the names, the most prominent names that surround the Reformation are uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin. But it was through Paul's epistles to both the Romans and the Galatians that the reformers uh, really rediscovered the grace of God and brought this great truth of salvation by grace alone through faith alone back into prominence after approximately 1,200 years of obscurity. Think about that. For 1,200 years, the church to a large degree lost the, the understanding of God's grace and salvation through grace and, and the Christian life through grace. I mean, can you imagine how could, it's almost inconceivable that the, the thing that is the very theme of the New Testament, which is grace, was lost to a large degree for 1,200 years, but it was through the influence of the epistle to the Galatians that this was restored during the time of the Reformation. So Galatians is important for us today because an understanding of the grace of God is vital to a healthy and spiritually prosperous Christian life. Look, this is the most important and like I said, it's the primary doctrine of the New Testament. So if we don't get grace, 
the way God intends it to be gotten, we're not going to be living the Christian life the way God intends it to be lived. And we're not going to be enjoying the blessings and the benefits of it that God has for us. Timothy Keller in his commentary on the book of Galatians, he said this, he said, the book of Galatians is dynamite. It is an explosion of joy and freedom, which leaves us enjoying a deep significance, security and self-satisfaction, the life of blessing God calls his people into. And, I, and I'm praying as we go through Galatians together that it is indeed just that, that it's dynamite, that it blows up all of our preconceived ideas and our legalistic bent that we often are um, caught up in and, and just frees us once again in God's grace. You see, because it's possible to be a Christian, it's possible to have been a Christian for many, many years and to still not have really experienced God's grace. You, you believe in God's grace and you, you know, to a certain degree you understand it, but it's possible to not have fully experienced it. And that, of course, was the testimony of Pastor Chuck. He, of course, grew up in a Christian home and he pretty much, you know, didn't really have a point where he could look back and say, well, it was at this time that I became a Christian. He sort of just his entire life, you know, he had been brought up as a Christian. He was a Christian, but by his own admission and his own story, his own testimony was that for so many years, not only as a Christian, but even as a pastor, he never really understood God's grace. And there was a time, there was a, a, a moment, a defining moment in his own life where suddenly the lights went on and he understood God's grace. And later on in life, he would write his, his book, which was really sort of his testimony. And, and in some ways, just, you know, kind of the, the whole emphasis of his ministry. And perhaps you remember the book is called Why Grace Changes Everything. And that, that's what grace does. It changes everything. And that's what this epistle to the Galatians is going to do for us if we take it to heart. So that is our introduction. And now let's just jump in. We're going to look at the first five verses. And so it begins with Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So Paul begins this letter by claiming for himself the very title which the false teachers were evidently denying him. Paul says, actually, I am an apostle. They were questioning Paul's uh, apostleship. They were trying to cast doubt in the minds of the Galatian believers as to the legitimacy of Paul's apostleship. Uh, because remember, Paul wasn't part of that original apostolic band. When you go through the gospels, of course, you find that Jesus uh, selected 12 men to be his apostles. We know one of them was a traitor, Judas Iscariot. But these that were with Jesus, they were, they were with him during his public ministry. And of course, he would send them out on the, the great commission to make disciples of all of the nations. Paul wasn't part of that originally. He came later. So these false teachers tried to capitalize on that. Oh, Paul, you know, who is this guy? I mean, you know, why, why should we consider him an apostle? He wasn't part of that original band. This is how they would present it. But Paul here makes it clear that he is an apostle, and an apostle is one who is sent. That's what the word means, one who is sent, one who is sent by higher authority. 
Paul says that he is an apostle and it's not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So Paul says, in a sense, he's saying, no, yeah, it's true. I, I wasn't part of that original apostolic band and none of those men appointed me to be an apostle. Paul says, God himself appointed me to be an apostle. And you know, this is really a, a truth that we need to kind of you know, understand. Uh, God appoints people to Christian leadership. God gives gifts. And sometimes for some people, that might not be recognized, sometimes even in, in the early stages. There was a, a very well-known, became very well-known, a British preacher. His name was G. Campbell Morgan. And uh, Campbell Morgan, you know, really, really felt called to the ministry. And so he applied for ministry with the Methodist Church. This is back in the uh, late 1800s. And uh, he failed in his application. And they actually put on his uh, application for ministry, they, they put rejected. And he, of course, was dejected because they had put rejected. And he wrote to his father, notifying him that he had been rejected for the ministry. And his father wrote back and he said this, he said, rejected on earth, but chosen in heaven. And this man went on to be one of the great Bible expositors of the, the uh, 19th and 20th century. And so you see sometimes as, as was in the case with Paul, there was a, a bit of a reluctance to embrace him as an apostle, but Jesus had chosen him and appointed him and of course, ultimately his life and his letters, they, they make that clear. So he's an apostle, not from men, nor by man. Now, as an apostle, and just for the record, the apostles themselves, and Paul in particular, like the prophets of the Old Testament, they were not expressing their personal opinions about God. They were speaking on God's behalf. Therefore, to reject what the apostle said is to reject what God has said. Now, why do I say that? Because we're living in a time, and, and this, is, this happens over and over again throughout church history, but you have times where it sort of it has a resurgence, and we're living in a time now where there is a resurgence of this kind of thinking that, well, you know, the apostles and particularly Paul, uh, if we don't agree with him, we just dismiss what he says and just kind of say, well, you know, we don't, have to, we don't have to listen to what Paul said because Jesus didn't say that and we're only gonna listen to what Jesus said. And so there's, there has been, this has happened over and over again, but it's, become, it's becoming kind of common again to sort of pit Jesus against Paul. Listen, what Paul said is what Jesus said. What the apostle said is what Jesus said. There's no, there's, Jesus has, don't take this as, as being blasphemous. Jesus has no more authority than the apostles. Jesus gave them the authority. That's the whole point. And of course, Jesus is the living word of God. He imparts to these apostles the authority to speak on his behalf. That's what they are. They're apostles. They're sent by him. They're given authority from a higher power, from God himself. 
So for those today who would suggest, well, you know, the Old Testament doesn't matter, the epistles of Paul don't matter, all that matters is what Jesus said, those people have a very distorted understanding of what the Bible says about itself. The Bible makes clear, Jesus made it clear himself that the scriptures are themselves the authority and the scriptures cannot be broken. And so Paul goes on and he says in verse three, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul opens all of his epistles with the same uh, salutation. The only difference is when he writes to Timothy and Titus, he just includes the word mercy. But generally, it's grace and peace. And these were the common greetings of the day. Grace, charis, the Greek word, favor, God's favor, and peace, the Hebrew uh, term, Shalom would come to mind, but it was more than that. It was more than just the common greeting of the day because notice Paul says, grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's interesting that here in, in this salutation, what the apostle is actually doing is he's letting us know in advance that what he's about to say is coming to us from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not saying grace and peace to you from me. He's not saying grace and peace to you from the, the folks who are with me. He's not saying grace and peace to you from the other churches. He's saying grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So in that, he's actually sort of indirectly claiming to speak now for God. So the grace and peace in the New Testament epistles is really the New Testament version of thus says the Lord that we find frequently in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, the prophets would speak and they would preface what they were about to say with thus says the Lord, or they would finish what they said with thus says the Lord. So everybody understood that it was God that was speaking through them. So here in all of these epistles, we find this kind of, uh, of an introduction and a salutation. Now, verse four is where we really want to focus today. So in verse four, and then of course, five is just the ending of the fourth verse. So who gave himself, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. So in verse four, we see three things. Number one, the nature of Christ's death. Number two, the object of Christ's death. And number three, the origin of Christ's death. So first of all, the nature of the death of Christ. The nature of the death of Christ is primarily a sacrifice for sin. You see, Christ's death was not primarily a demonstration of God's love, though it was that. It was that for sure, but it wasn't that primarily. Why do I say that? Because once again, we're living in a time where people want to really focus on the love of God, which is good, but you can't focus on the love of God to the exclusion of the holiness of God, which means that sin has to be dealt with. And sin had to be dealt with through a sacrifice. Atonement had to be made. A life had to be given for the sins that were committed. And, and once again, in our time, this is something that is unpopular. There's, like I said, there, there's much talk about God's love. And, and God's love is a great thing to talk about because it's true. God does love us. And he did demonstrate his love for us through the death of Christ. But we have to remember that it wasn't 
simply a demonstration of his love. The death of Christ was making a payment for our sins. So the nature of the death of Christ was first and foremost a sacrifice for sin. We cannot lose sight of that. Secondly, the object was to deliver. The word can also be translated rescue, to deliver or rescue us from this present evil age. So this is also what happened through the death of Christ, that for those who receive him, that we are rescued from this present evil age. We are, we are pulled out of it in a sense, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But then the third thing is the origin of the death of Christ is in the will of God the Father. And again, we sometimes have confusion. People think, well, you know, Jesus, the New Testament God, he's the nice, gracious God. The Old Testament God is the, the angry God, the wrathful God. And so Jesus steps in. God really wants to destroy everybody, but Jesus steps in and talks them out of it. And he takes the, the brunt of things for us. And, uh, but, but the whole picture is that, you know, God, God the Father is a wrathful, vengeful God. But here we're told that the origin of the sacrifice of Christ is the will of God the Father. And of course, this is what John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. Jesus died as a sacrifice for sin because of God's love for the world. And the Bible is clear that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all harmoniously working together for man's redemption, the Father planned it, the Son executed it, and the Holy Spirit applies it. And so there's no like we said, there's no pitting Jesus against Paul, and there's certainly no pitting God the Father against God the Son. Our salvation originated in the will of God the Father. But now we want to come back, and I want to focus today on the object of this salvation that came through the death of Christ. And as we said, it is to deliver or rescue us from this present evil age. And so let me quote to you from John Stott. He said, the Bible divides history into two ages, this age and the age to come. It tells us that the age to come has come already because Christ inaugurated it, although this present age has not yet finally passed away. So the two ages are running their course in parallel. They overlap one another. Christian conversion means being rescued from the old age and being transferred into the new age, the age to come. And here's the key sentence. And the Christian life is living in this present evil age, the life of the age to come. And thus the title of our message today, the life of the age to come. That's what we wanna talk about because this is what Jesus came to do in delivering us from this evil age. He doesn't take us out of the world, right? We're still here. So what does it mean that he delivered us from it? Well, he has saved us. He's, he's brought us to himself and he's given us the experience of the life of the age to come. We get to live that life of the age to come in this present world. And so because we are called to experience this life of the age to come, that will translate itself into us who are still living in the present evil age, living radically different than the way the rest of the world is living. 
And so that is going to be the, the mark of those who are the followers of Christ. We're going to have a life that is distinct. For the month of April, Back to Basics Radio is offering a timely resource titled One Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell. Has a skeptic in your life ever stumped you with questions regarding God, social ethics, or supposed contradictions in the Bible? Well, with this book, One Minute Answers to Skeptics, concise responses to the top 50 objections and questions by Charlie Campbell, you can be equipped to address the questions of skeptics on those exact topics and many others. If you want to be equipped to always be ready to give a defense of the faith, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Galatians. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.